How do you eat an elephant? So the old question goes. The classic answer, of course, is one bite at a time. Which gives us a very important insight, my brothers and sisters, as to how major changes, both good and bad, usually happen in our world. They usually happen one bite at a time. In other words, incrementally. In 1990, for example, according to an article I read just this past week in the Harvard Magazine Online, and here I quote, in 1990, roughly 75% of Americans deemed homosexual acts immoral. Only 29% supported gay adoptions, and only 10% to 20% backed gay marriage. Well, we've come a long way in 23 years, have we not? Actually, I think it's more accurate to say that we have fallen a long way in the past 23 years into the pit of immorality. But it didn't happen instantaneously, did it? This change in public opinion on this particular issue was slow and steady and incremental. The elephant of opposition to homosexual acts, in other words, was devoured one bite at a time. Much of it was orchestrated, at least in the physical dimension of reality, by the media and by the entertainment industry. For example, according to Professor Gary Gates from UCLA, who's a recognized expert on this subject, according to him, only 1.7% of Americans identify themselves as gay or lesbian. 1.7%. But you'd never know that, would you, from the number of openly gay characters on primetime television these days. You'd think the number was more like 30 or 40 percent of the population. Which is precisely what they want you to think. See, that's another bite of the elephant. And have you noticed that on these particular programs, the characters who openly oppose homosexual activity, they are always mean and nasty and vulgar. And of course, almost always, they are religious, Christian, very often Catholic. That's not a coincidence, you know. That's another bite of the elephant. And you can't argue with the effectiveness of the strategy. It does work. It's the strategy that led to the full legalization and acceptance of contraception and abortion in the 1960s and 70s. And given its recent success with gay marriage, this strategy will no doubt eventually lead to the acceptance and legalization of things like polygamy and group marriage. Because if marriage is not between one man and one woman, then why can't you have two men and one woman? Or five men and six women? This is the bad news, which I always like to give before I give the good news. 
And yes, there is some good news here. There's a lot of good news. The good news is this philosophy of incrementalism, of working for change by eating the elephant, so to speak, one bite at a time. This philosophy can also be used, this strategy can also be used to achieve positive changes in our society and world. And that's often happened, thank God. Take, for example, racism. Has racism been completely eliminated from American society in 2013? No, unfortunately it hasn't. And the bad news is, like every other sin, it will never be totally eradicated until the end of time. But things are certainly a lot better, generally speaking, in most places in America than they were, let's say, 50 years ago when Martin Luther King Jr. made his famous I Have a Dream speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial down in Washington, D.C. Efforts have been made in the past 50 years, especially by religiously motivated people like Reverend Dr. King. Efforts have been made to attack this problem incrementally by slowly changing the minds and hearts of people on the matter. And some credit for this positive shift can also go to people in the media. And that's noteworthy because I don't usually give those people credit for too much. At least too much that's positive. So, the elephant of racism has by no means been fully eaten in the United States of America in 2013. But that elephant is certainly a lot thinner than it was 50 years ago. Thank God. In a very famous passage from his encyclical, Evangelium Vitae, the Gospel of Life, Pope John Paul II, a number of years ago, indicated that this eating the elephant one bite at a time approach is also sometimes acceptable in trying to reverse laws that currently allow abortion. He said that when it's not possible to change an unjust law on abortion all at once in one fell swoop, it can be permissible to support another law that will serve to limit the number of abortions. As happened a few weeks ago down in Texas when they outlawed all abortions after 20, the 20th week of pregnancy. Obviously, that's not where pro-life efforts should end. But according to the Holy Father, former Holy Father, it is a valid way to approach the problem when it's not possible to pass a constitutional amendment supporting life. Now why do I speak about all this this morning? Well, very simply, it's because all that I've just said can help us to understand the phenomenon of human slavery, which is the issue at the very center of today's second reading from St. Paul's letter to Philemon. This, by the way, is a problem that's still with us. Human slavery is not totally eradicated in our world, not by a long shot. We just call it today usually by different names, like human trafficking. That's slavery by another name. Now, sometimes it's said that the New Testament, and especially this particular letter to Philemon, supports slavery. But that is not true. In fact, we need to be clear about it as Catholics. Our church, the Catholic Church, has never, ever, ever officially endorsed the practice of human slavery. 
Quite oppositely, many popes, including popes like Eugene IV and Paul III, who lived at the time when the slave trade was in full operation, those popes have vigorously condemned it. So too does the contemporary catechism of the Catholic Church, in paragraph 2414 to be exact, if you want to look it up when you get home. Now, have individual Catholics and other Christians, including some members of the clergy, have they supported slavery over the centuries? Sad to say, yes, they have. But that should not surprise us. It's just like today. Today we have Catholic lay people and even, I dare say, some Catholic priests who support a lot of things that the Catholic Church condemns. You know the list of those issues, I'm sure. Regarding the writers of the New Testament, like St. Paul, remember, these people were members of a religion that was very quickly made illegal in the Roman Empire. That means they had no power whatsoever to change existing laws regarding slavery, or any other laws for that matter. They had no choice but to tolerate the legal situation as it was, while at the same time trying to change people's minds and hearts on the matter, incrementally, one bite at a time. Which is precisely what you see in this letter to Philemon. But to understand that, you need to see the letter in its historical context. I'll summarize the situation very briefly. Onesimus was Philemon's slave. Philemon was a wealthy man from Colossae, a man who had become a believer in Christ through St. Paul, through Paul's missionary activity. Now, he probably had slaves long before his conversion. That's not surprising. Many wealthy people did back then. Like it or not, slavery was pretty much a universal phenomenon in the ancient world. Although Christians were enjoined to be different. Christian slave owners were told explicitly by St. Paul in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 4, they were told to treat their slaves with fairness, with justice, with kindness. Now to us, we say, what's the big deal about that? That was a radical idea back in the first century. Nobody said you should treat your slaves that way, except Christians. Well, at some point prior to the writing of this letter, Onesimus had escaped from Philemon, and he had taken some of his master's stuff in the process. That made Onesimus a thief as well as a runaway slave. But then he met St. Paul, who happily converted him to Christ. Paul at the time was in prison. The apostle then sent Onesimus back to Philemon. He sent the runaway slave and thief back to his master, along with this letter that we heard part of today in today's second reading. Now, does that mean that St. Paul approved of slavery? Not at all. In fact, it's quite clear from what he says in this letter that he detested it. You can sum up St. Paul's message in this way. He said to Philemon, he said to him, Look, I could order you to do the right thing here and free Onesimus, since I'm your spiritual father. I'm the one who brought you to Christ. But I'm not going to do that. 
I want you to do the right thing of your own free will. I want you to choose to act virtuously here. So I'm going to honor the law of the Roman Empire, unjust though it is, and I will send Onesimus back to you. But please understand that after he escaped from your service, I brought him to the faith. He's also my spiritual child now. And if he's my spiritual child and you're my spiritual child, that makes the two of you brothers. You are brothers in the Lord. So I ask you to receive Onesimus back as your brother, not as your slave. And if, you, if he owes you anything because of what he stole, charge it to me. I'm his father. I'm his friend. I'll be more than happy to pay his bill. Let me conclude my homily this morning by inviting you to do something. I invite you, I urge you, I encourage you to apply this idea to the situations you are currently facing in your life. You know, we all have our elephants. We all have our problems problems in our personal lives that we need to get rid of, especially concerning our relationships with other people. It might be an elephant of anger against a co-worker who offended you. It might be an elephant of unforgiveness against a spouse or a family member who betrayed you in some way. There are lots of possibilities. It is highly unlikely, highly unlikely, that your relationship with this other person can be made right in a single instant. That does happen on occasion, and thanks be to God when it does, but that's normally, normally not the way it works. Things normally improve in our relationships incrementally by us taking positive steps to address the problem. So I ask you to spend a little bit of time during this coming week identifying your problems, your personal elephants that you need to get rid of. And then take the next step and ask the Lord to help you to see what he wants you to do to start devouring those elephants.